Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I'm Michael. And today we're doing part two of our Piranha discussion, our deep dive into the 1978 cult classic horror comedy film. Yep, and it's quite a deep way to go. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Taking a deep dive into the horrors of what lies underneath. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if you haven't seen this movie recommend going back and checking out the primer episode for this uh you're definitely not gonna want spoilers into a horror movie you want you want to save that fun stuff uh for your first watch through yeah yeah and it is fun it is fun like we said last week it's fun it's not it's not a bad time that's for sure yeah and where we usually start off in the deep dive discussion is kind of starting in front of our the camera and working our way back and actually but even before that and this is already going to get into spoiler territory so beware of that I actually was thinking about this after our last discussion. We kind of debated the writing of the the story and plot and characters. And Mm -hmm. so I thought that the characters maybe weren't written as well necessarily. But you kind of made the counter argument that, you know, you understood all the characters. Like they were consistent for the most part throughout the film. Yeah, I think I wouldn't say that they were deep or complex characters, but I do Mm -hmm. think they were well characterized. And I kind of wanted to elaborate on that a little bit getting started in this conversation because I was thinking about that a little bit and I I do agree with you. What I actually think is that what makes the characters really interesting is we understand like each of their motivations and, Mm -hmm. and it's pretty well written like there's there's enough exposition here and there throughout the opening pieces of the movie and each time a character is introduced where we learn like who that character is and what they represent relatively quickly right right yeah the only character that i would say has a a brief lapse of maybe consistency in writing and this is you know to create maybe some contrived plot uh writing there which this movie never does (laughs) (laughs) not even a little and that's when the the mad scientist jumps in the water to save the boy. Yeah, Th- that was, was the moment where I was like, ah, this is this is a stretch here on this one. That was the moment. So la- in our last episode, when I said there was something we had to talk about, this is what I meant. Like mm. this is that moment where I was like, oh, I guess we're doing this. Like this is happening. Like I guess if you haven't seen it yet, the deal is there's this mad scientist with a really nice head of hair. I'll give him that. And- <laughs> They take him prisoner and he kind of delivers the exposition that like he was assigned by the government to do some Operation Razor Teeth where they would create mutant carnivorous piranhas and like use them as like a biological weapon against the enemy. But then after the war, like the project was shut down, but he went rogue because in his own words, and this is a direct quote, there was so much more I could do with the piranhas. (laughs) <laughs> okay and and this is where like every character is you know written to the extreme of what they're trying to portray right and so like he's mad scientist for the sake of being mad scientist right yeah like stock mad scientists like they just took him off the shelf like here he yeah. is like here's yeah. the character so then they're going down the river on their like tuckleberry thin raft and he's just like, what, you think oh, You think I'm responsible for this? Like, I was just doing my research. And then they find a little kid in a canoe, and the canoe's sinking, and the mad scientist inexplicably has, I guess, an attack of conscience, leaps into the piranha-infested waters, and uh, saves a child, like, sacrificing his own life in the process. And it's just a completely preposterous 
moment. Like, even yeah. for this movie, it's just like, okay, <laughs> I guess yeah. we're doing this. And, and like, the best explanation they could give was, like, when our two main characters are kind of discussing it after, right? And and they're basically like, oh, well, you know, he uh, he just really, in that last moment, had some sort of, like, human experience there and wanted to save this kid. It was like, but you guys were, like, 20 feet away. You made it to the kayak <laughs> yeah. before also it that. sank. <laughs> also that, like, yeah, yeah, it was just... That was one of those moments where, like, like I'm a sucker for a good redemption arc, mm-hmm. but like that had to be history's fastest redemption arc. <laughs> so <laughs> and most contrived again. Yeah, and like I will say, the only thing that I guess kind of redeemed that moment for me is that it does increase the tension because suddenly the guy who knows the most about the Piranhas is dead. Yes, for for all of our harping on it, like that is really well built into there that we do lose the only real explanation for how we're going to get rid of these things. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, and then even in the next scene, like, so they have his body on the raft, but then the piranhas start attacking the raft. They're like, Oh, his bleeding corpse is attracting more piranhas. Right. So like, even that, like immediately after his death, he's causing more problems for the heroes. So I guess in that sense, it works. It's just, still a very i guess yeah let's call it a human moment <laughs> <laughs> and stepping back for a sec so i i wanted to kind of touch on that just because it was a thought that hadn't kind of been pressing against the back of my head for since we had our last discussion i want to front load this and say that i had a lot of fun with this movie and i think sure. you had a lot of fun with this movie yes but there with a low budget film like this there's a lot of faults to it right Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily detract from my enjoyment because I'm going to be honest here, like I'm, I've kind of been debating the last few days since watching it, like how I wanted to approach this particular section, because either I can, you know, you and I can discuss and have fun with like each section. I can balance that with like, you know, critiquing things as I go through, or I just save like all of my nitty gritty picky notes for the end and i like i just don't know how to how to meet that discussion i can appreciate where you're coming from i mean we can turn into red letter media and just dunk on this movie and laugh about it or Mm -hmm. we can i don't know have an actual discussion about it but this movie is also like i don't know and what am i trying to say like it's this is a movie that kind of in a lot of ways knows what it is this is a movie that kind of like you know, it's winking at you the whole time. Yeah. So, I mean, if we just start dunking on it, the movie's probably going to be laughing with us. Exactly. Yeah. Right? And, and that's the thing is like, this is a movie that is relatively fun to watch with other people. And you're probably going to like, you know, point out those things while you're watching it too. Yeah. Yeah. There are movies that like, you should be, you know, quiet and fully engaged in and, you know, let it sweep over you. And then afterwards you have the discussion for like 30 minutes kind of thing. You know, those really deep, like you know, once a year kind of big movies. And then there are movies like this where it's like fun to be talking and joking throughout while you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely, that's a good point. This isn't a movie you should watch alone. And I know that because I watched it alone. So did I in this particular instance, actually. Okay, but we still had a good time. So... Exactly, yeah. But we probably would have had a better time if we watched it together. Yeah. Let's step back to the plot and, and kind of everything going on. 
I want to start with the opening scene with the kids. I, like I was sitting there and I was just laughing to myself because I was like, what teenagers are hopping into an industrial looking pool to go for a midnight swim? I was like, there's no way you were ever getting me in that water. Like, you know, there was different machines kind of in there and like everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you I'll tell you who Blake teenagers in bad horror movies will do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was that part like I, I had a good laugh at the beginning there because I was like oh my god there's no way there's no way you would get me in that ever it's like a moment right off the shelf right like it's two teenagers looking for a place to like you know fool around and then they both get murdered by a monster right so it's just yeah. it's the jaws opening but with no subtlety yeah exactly <laughs> That's the exact, that is the perfect comparison there. Just Jaws with no subtlety. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, they get in the water and the guy's like, hey, you bit my toe. Even though she's right. like four feet away from him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like back uh Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when they're like going down the raft. He was like, stop touching me. And they're like six feet away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the next kind of spot that I want to talk about is when we get to the the military base with Paul and, and Maggie kind of looking for the teenagers there. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the little like claymation-y kind of little fish monster thing that was? Yeah, I did want to bring that up. I was just because it never really comes back, does it? Right. No, yeah. it doesn't. And so, and this is maybe coming back to effects and filming a little bit, but basically like that weird lizard fish thing, I was hoping for more of that later on and for it to tie back in. Uh, it turns out Joe Dante as well was hoping that would uh, return again. Oh no. <laughs> but they didn't have enough of the budget to do it later. So they kind of did it once and done. Like it was actually an homage to like Ray, Ray Harry Harryhausen. Yeah. yeah. The, the stop motion monster uh, special effects guy. And it's really funny, too, because, like, you know, I knew going into this that Joe Dante is somebody who's done Gremlins and Small Soldiers before. So, like, seeing that, I was like, oh, this is kind of like a dry run, you know, for those kind right, of movies right. and, and having, like, the stop motion stuff in there. And I got to say, like, I'm a sucker for good stop motion. I love, you know, 70s and 80s stop motion. In... Oh, and, and these looked great, too. Yeah, like, they, they did. Were, like, they all had a ton of personality. It's just... Yep. It's it's funny how, I guess, look, looking back at it now, I actually kind of forgot that was even in the movie. But, like, mm. I guess the implication is, like, these are his other experiments. Right. But that just kind of makes it funny because it's, like, why isn't the movie about these guys? Like, these guys are way more interesting than evil piranhas. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so... exactly. I, I wasn't sure how they were going to tie them back into this film because it just, like, you know, it happens there and it feels so important at that particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. And then it, it just because of budgeting reasons, that's kind of, you know, one of the effects of, of being on a micro budget. Sometimes things don't always work out the way you want them to. But he was like, hey, we paid for these stop motion monsters. I'm throwing them in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But and it, like I said, I, I did enjoy it. It's just I almost wanted more of it. Yeah, kind of. It's it is kind of funny in hindsight. It's almost like the movie kind of playing itself in a weird way or undermining its own monsters in a weird way, which is kind of the ultimate it almost kind of just makes this movie more charming in a way. It's yeah. like, we'll undermine our own message just for a quick 
a quick and dirty kind of thing homage to somebody that i I really respect kind of thing yeah and i was gonna say the other thing like the other movies that you've seen the homage to so ray harry hausen the uh, stop motion guy he's most known for jason and the argonauts and clash the titans like the original clash the titans not the one that came out like 10 years ago the one in the 80s yeah exactly yeah yeah we don't talk about the one that came out 10 years ago (laughs) we just don't okay (laughs) i would be interested in watching both of them side by side i think because i don't know that like the original clash of the titans has the best reviews either so well it came out after this movie right like wasn't it like the 80s or something yeah yeah so this was pre clash of the titans yeah i would it'd be nice to do like a old versus new kind of thing yeah, well, and that's what this movie kind of slots into, and, and not necessarily this year, but like Jaws is one of the biggest movies of all time, and so I thought it was really cool to do a parody, almost comparison to Jaws and, and what we liked about this and that kind of thing, but I think in the future going forward, what we'll do is is more movies that either, you know, have modern day counterparts or have like way back when uh, counterparts to them kind of thing. yeah. That's kind of the other thing is, is this movie really a direct parody of Jaws or is it more of like kind of a, like a bootleg knockoff version of Jaws? You know what I mean? It is about an evil sea fish monster, but like there's no, there isn't really a whole lot of like direct comparisons. I I would argue differently, actually. Like I would say this is a direct parody because it just takes like all the aspects of Jaws and kind of you know puts it in this low budget horror comedy aspect like you know everything's just turned up to 11 here we've got pure capitalists who are like i'm not gonna let this these piranhas slow me down for anything like nothing's gonna let me slow me down from closing this down whereas like you know there's the comparison to the mayor of the town right you've got maggie who's like the fish out of water compared to pun intended yeah exactly compared (laughs) to sheriff brody from jaws who's the fish out of water in that situation paul grogan is the stand-in for oh quint yes quint in jaws like the the grizzled like kind of knows his way around the water even if it's on this little dingy raft but and knows the area right and then i guess the mad scientist character is like richard yeah richard dreyfus's character exactly except with a or death. Yeah, I don't know if that makes it a parody though, or if it makes it just again like a knockoff bootleg version, like um, Jaws with the serial numbers filed off. I I don't know because I think we're getting into semantics here probably, but I guess so. I guess to me, just a parody is more like you know I'm thinking more like we're post scary kinda... movie though, like generation, right? Yeah, to me, a parody is more like you have to have actually a parody, especially like a bad parody, is like you need to be really familiar with what we're making fun of in order to get the joke, right? Right. Whereas this movie was telling its own story, albeit with familiar elements. Yeah, I I would agree with you there. So uh, I guess agree to disagree because that's such a a small semantic thing. Um. (laughs) Agree to disagree. You know, you knew I was a writer when you invited me on this podcast, so these were semantic disagreements were bound to happen. (laughs) (laughs) True. So the bigger implications of this film, I found actually pretty fascinating, right? Because, you know, this film is telling a relatively grounded story, right? It's the story of these mad piranha, like mutated piranhas being let loose on this poor unsuspecting town and like Mm -hmm. the campground and the resort and all of that sort of thing. But the bigger implication here is that 
as we learn, even though they make it in time to the dam to stop the piranha from getting to the ocean and potentially, you know, breeding like crazy and dominating. Mutating. Yeah, yeah. mutating, dominating the world's oceans. Yeah, wildly. I can just imagine, like, an alternate cut of this movie where, like, <laughs> piranhas take over the world and there are people just standing around like, this is the dumbest apocalypse we've ever been a part of. <laughs> <laughs> then that's when it's really interesting because they, they're able to say, okay, we stopped the dam, but it just so happens that the alternative waterway to get to the ocean now where we think the piranha are heading, which... I guess fish inherently probably know, like, I guess salmon would swim that direction kind of thing. So there must be something, you know, within fish to tell them which way is towards the ocean kind of thing. If you're a fisherman, uh, sound off in the comments. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to know more, to be honest. We don't really know what we're talking about. One of my ex-girlfriend's dads was a fisherman, so I should break the silence of five years (laughs) and see what he thinks. That sounds like a terrible idea, but... Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, so so then they're like, okay, well, we've stopped them here. We've stopped them from the direct route, but now we've got this indirect route that, that's become a problem. And oh, by the way, Paul, this is where your daughter's summer camp is and where she's at, right? Whoops. I did want to talk about that scene because I have one little gripe with it. Sure. It's not really, it's not a big gripe, but I do find it funny. There is a little bit of inconsistency with like how deadly the piranhas are right Mm -hmm. because it seems like so okay spoiler alert um the piranhas attack the kids and the camp counselors in the lake right right and with the mad scientist in particular it seemed like he was only in the water for 20 seconds and then he died of his injuries right right whereas it seems like (laughs) okay small side note here the mad scientist guy had been through hell up until that point he had like been beaten he had been in a car accident also and that. he was eaten alive by piranhas. Yeah. He had a really bad day. <laughs> the worst day of his entire life. So the kids and the camp counselors are all getting nibbled on. And like there's blood and they're screaming and it's horrific. But like it seems like most of them are okay for the most part. Yeah, I have the final death count written down somewhere and I'll pull that up later. Um, okay. I want to say it's around 37, 38. Uh, was the final count. But then in that same scene, there's the one likable camp counselor, like the one who's trying to help Grogan's daughter get out of her swim lesson because she's scared of the water. Right. And she kind of falls off her little dinghy and she's dead within five seconds. Right. So it's a little like, uh... (laughs) Well, and and you know what? Like, I don't want to jump through hoops for this movie necessarily, but like no, I don't either. I, I just for me it was a little it was a little quirk of the movie where I'm like, how yeah. deadly are these piranhas? And like, I guess I didn't I didn't notice that at that particular moment in time. And the reason why I wasn't thinking about that is I guess it kind of made sense to me in in the way that like this is the way I rationalized it. I guess is that there was like a hundred kids in the water there. Okay, okay, you know what? That's fair. Yeah, That's maybe fair. there's like ten to. Uh, 30 piranha at this point in time just a single swarm not like the whole yeah like i don't i don't know how many piranha like i don't know that the scientist guy said how many piranha were actually in the pond at that point in time so you know like depending on how many piranha we're dealing with right off the bat when there's all the kids there you know the piranha's attention is a little all over the place and then once everybody's out, it's really only the one girl left in there. It's like, screw it. Let's get her. Yeah, the piranhas are just like fully, you know, engaged at that point in time. Engaged. 
The one small detail I did kind of appreciate about that scene is that I mentioned my favorite character is the one, like, snooty camp counselor. Like, guts, Grogan, guts. And, like, I noticed he was actually helping kids out of the water. Yeah. Like, he almost kind of had, like, a heroic moment despite everything. He did. Yeah. So, good for him, I guess. <laughs> I think the biggest pitfall for me of this movie, I want to get it out of the way, I guess, now before I get into more fun things as well, is the fact that, like, at no point in time did Maggie and Paul really sit Dr. Mad Scientist down and, like, have him explain, you know, what was going on or how to stop the piranha. Like, they just really, yeah. you know... <laughs> like, the when we first meet Dr. Hoke, Dr. Mad Scientist Hoke, he... Yeah. You can just call him Dr. Mad Scientist. Okay. I know, he, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he, like, he runs and he's like, no, don't do it! And no. then he just, What like, are you doing? He just straight up attacks them. Like, yeah. at no point is he, like, you know, while he's got the bar, like, while they're pushing the bar at each other, is he, like, if you release that, you're releasing hell on this world or something like that. All he needs is, like, that little bit of... And then, you know, you put that little bit of doubt in somebody's mind, and they're like why <laughs> or you walk into the room you see two strangers and you just say hello what are you doing here like, <laughs> yeah you don't jump from one to a, a hundred right away yeah and, and then you know later on like i said they they never really push him to get any answers from him beyond like the why don't they though like i feel like they try but he's just not really cooperating yeah like, there's a that bit. scene on the raft where he Grogan keeps asking him questions and he's just like sitting there petulantly silent. Yeah, a little bit. They like he explains like the fact that they're they were created to be weapons in Vietnam, basically, right? Yeah. So but then he had to pull the world's weirdest heroic sacrifice and now he's dead. So Yeah. Hmm. I don't know that that bothered me as, as much as it bothered you. Mm -hmm. But it's just it's one of those moments where it's just like it's one of the many contrivances that make up this story. <laughs> right. So also, have you heard the term idiot plot? No, I haven't. It's a term. I forget who coined it. I think it was maybe even one of the Simpsons guys in the 90s. No, it's it's called the idiot ball. It's the thing where it's like a character will hold the idiot ball and that moves the plot forward. Mm -hmm. Meaning the plot only moves forward because someone's being an idiot. <laughs> Nice. So it might be a case of the idiot plots, which is I'm okay with in a movie like this. You know, yeah, I I think in this kind of a movie where it's not you know like elevated storytelling, I very much agree. Like it's not as necessarily as glaring of an issue because you know the, this movie is more meant to have fun and not to be like an ironclad one of the greatest movies ever made kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely one of the contrasts that I would have to that, right, is, like, or comparison is Game of Thrones season one through, like, I don't know, five or something. You know, the writing's really tight. It's really well written. It's based on a very famous book series. And then as we get to the end of the series, when we have all these plot contrivances and and things suddenly go downhill, there's an expectation, right? And that expectation isn't met. Whereas in a movie like this, with such a small budget, with, like, you know, a bunch of no-name actors basically mm -hmm. basically a no-name director at this point in time there are no expectations and so when you go in and you have fun it doesn't matter some of that stuff right so let this be a lesson to you kids listening to this podcast like if you're gonna suck at something suck straight out of the gate well and then no one will mind <laughs> no you're laying no you're laying yeah well yeah, and, yeah. and this is the other problem too is that like hollywood either 
doesn't make these kinds of movies anymore because they have to make big budget movies and that's part of like one of the biggest problems with Hollywood right now is everything has to be a 200 million dollar budget mm-hmm. and get advertising for everybody and everybody has to enjoy it and you know there there aren't niche movies anymore well there still are they're just smaller they're right. quieter you have to kind of go out and find them like i feel like b movies are still getting made it's just where are they yeah i, genu- I genuinely don't know like yeah exactly um and and b movies like this that are that are enjoyable but also you know schlocky yeah yeah who's well like i mean occasionally a good well actually i shouldn't if i finish this sentence it's gonna offend you but i'm gonna do it anyway you know cool. movies like this and movies like barbarian you know, they do kind of slip through the cracks every now and then. I'm not comparing this movie to Barbarian because Barbarian was actually quite tightly written, but. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. And like, it's just, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like Hollywood and the movie theaters aren't giving movies like this any attention anymore, right? And so no. by extension, if a movie isn't being marketed to me and there's six other $200 million movies that are being budget or uh being marketed like crazy to me i'm i'm probably just never gonna know or or hear about that other movie unless it grows like a big cult following or unless word of mouth kicks in and it's sort of exactly how did you how did you hear about barbarian or did you just find it one day i heard about it through some other podcasting um some modern day podcasting groups that like talk about movies as well Okay. And it actually did relatively well. Like, And that's kind of the other thing that's really interesting is that medium to low budget horror movies have a pretty good track record, honestly. like I've heard that. The last few years, we had a resurgence of the Halloween films. We've had Barbarian, the Scream movies, which is probably one of like tonally the be- biggest comparison to this. Like, you know, it's a horror comedy kind of thing. I didn't really realize how popular the Scream movies were until recently. Yeah. Like people really like those movies. Oh, absolutely. I've only seen one of them, actually. I've only seen the first one. And I, I do Me too. I, I do really enjoy the first one. I've I been trying too. to convince Jess to watch it with me because I think she would as well. But the horror elements are outweighing the comedy aspects of it for Does her. Does Jess not like horror movies? No, she doesn't. Oh, okay. Which is funny because I, I love horror movies and I watch them a lot, so. <laughs> okay, well, you got three months till the wedding, Blake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad joke. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I guess I've heard that a lot of famous directors actually started off doing horror. Like, it's a good way to, it's apparently a good way to cut your teeth. Yeah, and I agree with that. And there's obviously something about, you know, comedy writers and horror writers and being able to, you know, blend the two, right? Because we've had Jordan Peele recently and the guy who wrote Barbarian, whose name is escaping me. The, um, wasn't he a whitest kid you know alumni? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Zach Krager. That's who it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. I wouldn't even really call this movie a horror movie. Like, I can't imagine anyone being scared by it. No, and you know what, though? I I do think this is a good, well-made horror movie, though, because, you know, there is tension. There is suspense um, throughout the film. I thought the big releases at the end, like the big climax scenes of the kids' camp, was pretty jarring like that like like really like you know disturbed me i guess in a way because you don't really usually you don't see in horror movies like women and children being the primary targets maybe women like you know young 
like final yeah. girl kind of slasher <laughs> movies but yeah. not like kids not like it's not like usually like a camp full of unsuspecting children is horribly murdered i actually did read some reviews at the time and i guess a, f- a lot of critics took issue with how women and children were victimized i right. guess you know as a writer i do kind of admire the ballsiness of we're going to threaten these women and children and we're actually going to follow through on the threat. Like, yeah, exactly. And, but that's what I mean is like, I thought that was done extraordinarily well. Like they, they went for it and I think they landed the plane there. Cause I thought that was some really well done horror. And then at the end, again, when we get the final scene at the resort, like is another moment of really well made horror at that point. Yeah. Okay. I will, I will concede that point. There are some flashes of, genuine discomfort in the movie despite many 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 more flashes of (laughs) gut busting humor (laughs) and and the other thing is too is like i thought the implication of the end of the film was somewhat scary too right because there's a possibility at the end of the film it leaves it relatively open that the piranha may have actually escaped like we actually really don't know whether paul's plan was actually successful or not that is interesting. Like, for all the lightheartedness of this movie, it does kind of have a slightly bitter ending. I would say very bitter and, and quite dark, yeah. too, because, like, you know, Paul ends up in that, like, comatose state at the end of the film, like, and and Maggie and his daughter are just standing over him crying, and we see all, of, like, you know, all of the people maimed and, and killed by the piranha. Yeah, that's true. It is. I do remember thinking the ending was a little jarring, just in the sense that, like, Again, this movie was mostly pretty lighthearted, and then at the end, it's like, oh, <laughs> well, piranhas. Lighthearted in like a silly, like fun romp kind of way. Like it, you know, it it does quite live up to the comedy elements. But like I said, with the horror aspect of the film, it builds over time, and it's the final act of the film that's, in my opinion, really actually genuinely well made horror. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think by that point, I was a little distanced from the movie. In the sense that I was kind of like I I was used to laughing at it, right? So it didn't quite draw me back in, but uh-huh. I will I will agree with that. Yeah, it it is almost a full tonal shift, like you know, and there are people who die in the film, like we the opening scene, the kids die, and then you know, there's the dad who's like joking around, like oh my arm's stuck, and then it's like, and then there's even like Paul's friend, the older man who's down fishing and drunk by the water and he has his legs like completely eaten off and then he craw- tries crawling back to uh his cottage for help like I-, I thought those kind of elements you know it's again like it's giving us those little like crumbs of like you know this is a pretty sinister story what we're telling here but it really saves all of the punch until the end i guess so yeah i just had a really <laughs> like even when that guy died and they're like oh he died crawling away i was like like, I was laughing at that point. <laughs> Maybe I'm just showing my slightly sadistic streak, but... Like... Well, and I don't necessarily, like, honestly, I think horror movies can just as easily be laughed at as they can be, uh, you can be scared kind of thing, right? Yeah, like, a lot of the, like, the classic, like, Halloween, Friday the 13th movies are almost like cartoons. Like, they're just, yeah, like, you know, they're silly when you get yeah. right down to it. Yeah, exactly. I guess it's it's kind of your headspace going in, but at the same time, like, you know, if you're going into a horror movie to have fun, like, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think no. I think you're the right kind of audience to, to enjoy a horror movie then. That's right. Yeah, 
however you want to enjoy it. What you were saying earlier about, you know, the comparisons to Jaws and, you know, how I was talking about the, the mayor compared to Buck Gardner, the guy running the resort. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, like most things, this movie takes a lot of those ideas of Jaws and turns them up to 11, especially with like the military involvement. Like there really isn't you know much military involvement in jaws it's more just local police kind of thing but right. there's like a really heavy military presence in this film and like anti-military anti-capitalism uh ideas in it which is absolutely a sign of the time this movie was made in right exactly this was the 70s when everyone was bitter and disenchanted with their government yeah, yeah. Which we and, can't relate to at all in 2023. Well, and that's what I was saying. Like, you know, back when we did the movie draft last year, when I did Network, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, man, like, it's so funny that, like, a movie like Network just feels so timely again now. It's almost like, you know, every 50 years or so, history kind of repeats itself. We got to do it again. But it really feels like the 70s and the 2020s are, are very similar uh, for a lot of reasons. So... Stay out of the water, kids. Cause. Yeah, so I don't know. This movie just, there's a timelessness to aspects of this film that make it still enjoyable and hold up relatively well today. And this is also a comparison to Jaws. Sometimes the less is more aspect can make a film hold up better, right? Because if a film's not completely relying on the crutches of special effects and CG and stuff like that, it's harder to sometimes date the film beyond like, you know, clothing or or like the type of camera work or something like that but what i'm i guess what i'm saying is like this movie holds up in my opinion better than a lot of like cg heavy movies of like the late 90s early 2000s kind of thing sure like um i don't know even like i mentioned that like i genuinely did have a lot of affection for the leads mm-hmm. like i think my favorite scene of the movie might be after they've captured the mad scientists where Maggie is staying over at Grogan's cabin and he's just drunk on the couch and he's just talking about how he's divorced and like he's out of work and he's drunk and like he's been he's collecting unemployment until September and then he's got to go find a job and it's and then she kind of like comes on to him and it's kind of just like yeah man like I get it (laughs) like you know you're having a a spell of hard luck. We've been, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey. Like. Well, and, and like that kind of goes back. There's another moment. Uh, one of the quotes that I, I really enjoy this film is uh, kind of, you know, our meeting for the first time. Maggie's trying to explain the situation, why she's there kind of thing. And Maggie's like, so I was wondering if there are any places around here they might be, or if they may have gone for a swim. And Paul's like, well, if they drown, they'd be swept down to the dam. So you're starting off at the wrong end. And yeah. Maggie's like, boy, you're the wrong end, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was fun. There's a goofiness even to like the quotes and the dialogue of this film, right? Oh well, yeah, like the scene where they're trying to like break out of the military brace, and there's a guard outside their tent, and he's just like, you know, you're a woman, go like distract him, like you know, use your womanly, wi- your feminine wiles to distract him, and she's just like. But what if he's gay? And he's like, then I'll distract him. (laughs) 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 That was genuinely really funny and and like surprising because sometimes you don't expect like, like, you know, jokes like that as well from from older films. Right. And then Maggie goes outside. It just first thing out of his mouth, out of her mouth. She's just like, are you gay? (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah and then and then she flashes him because she can't come up with any other reason that like to convince him to look away or whatever right right and i was gonna say that too is like it's so funny because this movie uses nudity a lot in it yeah and i was trying to come up with like the the logic behind why they were using all the nudity because this is pretty consistent with i think this era of like i don't know if it's nudity to get people to the seats of like horny teenagers wanting to go see a movie with nudity that contains a lot of nudity in it tits yeah Yeah. i don't like i just i i don't i don't fully understand like there was definitely a reason to have that in there right but sure sure i guess it kind of comes with the whole b-movie horror aesthetic yeah and that too i think you've got genitals and you've got blood they go (laughs) hand in hand just all the emotions yeah 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 I will say, like, this is sidebar, but I really did like the first scene where we meet Maggie because it shows us the character in a really compelling way. Mm-hmm. Like, her boss is like, she's like, I'm going to go find those teenagers. And her boss is kind of hesitant. He's like, she's like, I found lots of people. He's like, yeah, but that was in the city. And now you're going out to the burbs. Right. And then she's like, I can handle it. And then she's like storms off. Then the boss just stands there, and then she comes back because she forgot the tickets, right? Right. So it shows us all we need to know about Maggie right away is that she's enthusiastic and she's eager, but she's also not that bright. Or, like, right. it's not that she's not that bright, but, like, she's a little in over her head. Yeah. And that's kind of what makes the character so likable. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing as well, right, is that each character is written in a way in that one or two sentences basically explain the character each time we meet one of the characters, right? Like, there isn't ulterior motives. There aren't, like, you know, there's not a lot of foreshadowing into what the character might might or might not be thinking. Like, we, each character is written in a way that we're immediately supposed to know who and what they are and what they stand for and their primary motivations. And that's in a film like this, in a 90-minute film like this especially, that's good writing, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brevity. That kind of brevity is good in any kind of story. Yeah. You know? And I again, this is something that I think we're missing a little bit now in films. And a, a part of it's probably, you know, the Marvel problem of, like, every person needs an origin story, right? And every character has to be sympathetic or something like that or we have to empathize with every character every character has to be like witty and kind of generically likable yeah. by the way in our last episode i said our viewers are gonna have a jar that says movies michael hasn't seen right they're also gonna have a jar that says blake complains about marvel movies 100 <laughs> percent. this is a bingo card and uh, right right we just hit that one yep <laughs> so stamp your cards people <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this a bit last week but i like the fact that like everything it was like the whole universe was conspiring to slow down grogan and (laughs) like like at one point they get arrested and then they have to break out of jail which is another really funny scene right yeah yeah. maggie just starts destroying like tearing out the pipes in her cell she's like i found a plumber once and he used to do this to get break out of jail (laughs) and then like yeah she has to pull the guy's pants off and everything for the keys like right and she has to like like knock the guard unconscious and you see her kind of like close her eyes and like look away as she's about to hit him <laughs> right and then they drive by the sheriff who arrested them and chuck the pants in his face yeah like so unnecessary but so funny and even going back like you know like the mad scientist crashes their car immediately like because you know grogan just 
couldn't be bothered to ever own a vehicle even Basically. though he lives like completely he's an alcoholic who needs alcohol but also can't drive into town to get himself alcohol <laughs> yeah really like and then his best friend also doesn't have a car right remember in that first scene he's like that car is where it belongs up on blocks <laughs> right i watched a movie with my girlfriend over the weekend called bone tomahawk which oh, is a god <laughs> oh you've seen it yeah no i haven't seen it but i know what it's about okay and like she really didn't like it because she just found it too intolerable like the way everything just keeps getting worse for the characters right she found it too much but like to me i was like you know especially as a writer i'm like you want to torture your characters yeah you oh, want yeah. victory to be hard won so like to me, contrivances that fuck over the characters don't bother me. When mm. the, It's when the contrivances make things easier for the characters. I'm like, okay, no, they didn't earn that. You know right. what I mean? Uh, yeah, you know what? I very much agree with you because, like, I've mentioned before, like, the, the season one of The Terror is one of my favorite shows of all time because everything is working against the primary characters. And, yeah. and you know things are not going well and that's when you really get to like know a character uh, somebody there's a quote from some writer where he said like you know character is what someone does under stress right mm-hmm. so yeah the fact that like everything kept going wrong for grogan and maggie and everything kept slowing them down i was like this is good like this is good tension building yeah i, I really agree with you actually um and you know like even though there are little aspects of this film that don't work as a whole everything connected to with me and yeah the writing served its story relatively well yeah and i mean you can take a like the whole idea of killer piranhas is absurd but i mean it's not that absurd but it's a, a little absurd yeah it, it was at that point in time maybe like this is the first i think this is the first time piranhas are in film hmm. but at the same time you know growing up i think as a as a child um I think because of a film like this, piranhas have entered the zeitgeist more or less, right? Like, you know, as a kid thinking back, like I always in the back of my mind was like, I don't ever want to go swimming in the Amazon or somewhere where piranhas live because they would just eat me. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know little Blake was scared of piranhas, but (laughs) a lot of existential thoughts there. So yeah, I was scared of tornadoes when I was a little kid. I was always paranoid that a tornado would sweep me away. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and that's the thing is that these kind of films and and comparison to Twister is it like it taps into a primal fear and whether or not that fear is likely or not is beside the point. It's like man versus nature, essentially. Yeah, exactly. But like, yeah, tapping into those primal man versus nature ideas even though, you know, like, when will I ever be in the situation of killer piranhas or, like, you know, you know what I mean? Never say never, Blake. You <laughs> never know. Yeah. Some mad scientist will have some plot to Psst. eat me. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I was driving through. We had a severe thunderstorm warning this weekend, and I was driving down the highway. And at one point I thought to myself, wonder if today's the day a tornado finally gets me. <laughs> True. I want to talk sequels, prequels, and reboots relatively quickly. And there are sequels, aren't there? There are sequels. What's actually really interesting is apparently there's a novelization of this movie, which is 
somewhat baffling to me. I was not expecting there to be a, an accompanying, accompanying novelization of this. Although I guess back pre-video games, that would be your like your monetize your secondary monetization. A lot of movies still get novelizations. Like, do you remember once? What was it like? A thousand ways to die in the West. I was at a chapters one day and there was a novelization of that too. <laughs> so interesting. Actually, I'm just pulling it up on Goodreads right now because I want to see what the score is. Fair enough. Well, you're looking at that. So 3.1 in 30 reviews. So not good. <laughs> not great. <laughs> Apparently, the novelization actually goes into some of the backstory of who Maggie is. Okay. So I guess her boyfriend walked out on her. Ah. Uh. And so she hired a private detective to find them. And then she got like really interested in the process of finding somebody to the point where by the time her and the private detective caught the ex-boyfriend, she actually didn't care about him at all anymore. And she wanted like she knew kind of what her profession was going to be. <laughs> so that's actually kind of charming, actually. Yeah, <laughs> like, it is. It's not a um, bad backstory. No, not at all. I, and so that's why I wanted to bring it up is that, you know, that that is an interesting element from the novel, um, kind of a. A complimentary piece of writing similar to uh once upon a time in hollywood there's some there's some interesting details in in the uh novelization of that that adds to the film maybe i should check that out because i didn't actually like once upon a time in hollywood that much yeah i'd be interested in hearing what your thoughts on on that book are but on the flip side you know there are going to be people who have the art the counter argument of like we don't necessarily want supplementary materials to and uh speaking of supplementary materials i'm just looking at the reviews on goodreads and i'm uh-huh. gonna read you one there's a <laughs> there's a four-star review that says a delight takes you through the movie almost frame by frame and this was a review from may 1st 2017 by a person named Fishface. nice <laughs> so you know what they were at the right place at the right time there yeah i'm glad they had a good time genuinely <laughs> kind of the the sequels and and everything else related to piranha because of so basically like mid 70s and through 80s because jaws was like the biggest film of all time at that point similar to how superheroes have dominated our movie watching experience for the last 10 to 15 years put a quarter in the jar people (laughs) (laughs) there was like a ton of of sequels adjacent to this film like obviously so at the same time as this film being released jaws 2 was released and there's a lot of interesting trivia about about those two movies as well, right? Because they were actually released mostly simultaneously. Um, I think Piranha might have come out a few weeks before. Oh, really? But that's why the studio wanted to shut down Piranha. And they almost did end up shutting down Piranha and never seeing the light of day. But it just so happened that Stephen King, or not Stephen King, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Different Stephen. Yes. So... It just so happened that Steven Spielberg got an early cut of the film and got to see it and really, really liked it a lot. So he actually pushed for the studios to allow its release. Well, I guess Steven Spielberg's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> yeah, and he's he considers this one of the greatest parodies and, and the best Jaws parody ever made. Because let me let me uh, list to you all of the sequels of not only of Piranha, but just of, of the Jaws genre and subgenre. Okay. Of, of man versus nature, thriller, horror. By the way, you know you've made it when like your movie is so successful that it spawns an entire subgenre. Exactly. Of people ripping it off. Yeah, a hundred percent. So obviously, there's Jaws two, there's Jaws three D, and there's Jaws the Revenge. Then other movies that came out around this time in the late seventies, early eighties were Orca, 
tentacles, killer fish, barracuda, blood beach, the last shark, up from the depths, humanoids from the deep, the island of the fishmen, devilfish, Mako, the jaws of death. I think Great Blue Sea would probably factor into there. We don't talk about that movie. <laughs> and these are like only like man versus nature in water kind of things too, right? Like think right. of all of the other ones that we have. Um, most recently, Cocaine Bear, for example, Sharknado, like which I guess is in and out of water. Jaws, and also I guess adjacent to this because of the success of a parody film, you know, in the in the similar light as as Jaws would would kind of spawn all of these and and continue to spawn all of these and then we get to the sequel the first of the sequels to piranha right uh which is literally called piranha 2 the spawning (laughs) okay (laughs) which just so happens to have a very very famous director behind it who you may know uh michael james cameron the guy who made uh avatar and titanic created the sequel yeah uh he created the sequel to Piranha and disowned the film because he hated it so much. Well, that sounds like a very James Cameron-y thing to do. Yeah, it has a 3.8 rating on IMDb. <sighs> now, I'm not saying that IMDb ratings are perfect and, and you know, obviously with ratings, they're they're judgmental. Uh, <laughs> they're subjective at, at best, right? Yeah, yeah. But when James Cameron, think, tried to get his name off of the... the credits of the film you know it's not going to be great no although on the flip side this is i believe that was james cameron's first film and you know as we've seen over the years james cameron has an absolute fascination with the ocean right he sure does actually so so you know that definitely would have being one of the main kind of things to kick off that fascination in, in film. I guess it's the same way that uh this movie was kind of the trial run for Gremlins maybe Piranha 2 was almost the trial run for, you know, something like Titanic or one of his other water-based movies. Yeah, The, the, the Abyss. Abyss. Yeah. I like that I in my head I was like James Cameron water and I went right for Titanic instead of The Abyss. <laughs> <laughs> well, even like, you know, the second Avatar movie, which you've already forgotten about. You have too. <laughs> we saw it together, sir. <laughs> oh, true. And then we do actually even have a few more sequels to Piranha. So in 1995, there was a made-for-TV Piranha film. And then in 2010 and 2012, I don't know. I'll have to look back at the history of movies and why they decided to remake these again. Oh, I know why. Because Piranha 3D came out in 2010. So that's A, the 3D aspect coming off of James Cameron's Avatar. It all goes back to James Cameron. It all comes back to James Cameron. It always does. Uh, uh, there's there's two people who are running Hollywood uh, or who ran Hollywood from 1980 to 2010, and that was James Cameron and Steven Spielberg. But anyway, and then Piranha 3 Double D came out in 2012, which <laughs> by that name, I think means it's basically a porno. Uh, I'm just looking at, well, I'm just looking it up on Wikipedia right now, and you may be onto something. <laughs> The Wikipedia article says the film grossed 8.5 million worldwide and was panned by critics. <laughs> but what's really interesting, actually, is Piranha 3D has Jerry O'Connell and Richard Dreyfus, and also Ving Rhames in it and Christopher Lloyd. So you know what? It actually has some well-known names involved with it. So I think if you liked Piranha, you know, you could probably find some enjoyment out of Piranha 3D. I do remember reading, like, 
reviews i remember reading a review in our local paper when it came out that was actually like mostly positive here's the thing is like what's really cool about movies like this and movie series like this is i think if you enjoy one of them it's almost worth your time just to like even just hate watch some of them (laughs) yeah like i for me i really enjoy watching a series of movies that are all kind of connected like for example when we watched cube last year Mm -hmm. for the horror film like i ended up watching the other two because while i didn't like cube because of its uniqueness because of like you know the story that i was trying to tell i thought that i would enjoy aspects of the other films and definitely you know mixed on that like those movies do not have good ratings but if you're going into a film with no expectations or you know the expectation is this movie is going to be bad but i'm going to enjoy it because of its shortcomings right then right you know i'm not going in thinking this i'm so excited this is going to be my movie of the year i'm going in like well i'm gonna have fun for like an hour and 20 an hour 40 minutes right (laughs) yeah like i'm gonna watch this movie flail around (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and and so i think that you know if if you enjoyed this film no 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 no. i'm gonna amend that i'm gonna watch this movie try its best (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah exactly um so i think that other than the fact that James Cameron's name is tied to Piranha 2 The Spawning, I think I would enjoy that film more in comparison to trying to go back to the 70s, 80s and watching a bad sequel. Because this is the other thing. We haven't talked really about this yet, but uh, this was kind of my thought and kind of nice segue into effects and filming. Again, the less is more use of the Piranha actually worked really well because the special effects of the Piranhas I thought was actually very well done like they were just fish on a stick that they were were? yeah they actually looked relatively like good and because we only see them like here and there like very interspersed and like often it's in the dark water or like you know there's a lot of like splashing and stuff happening they don't look like bad special effects in this i I don't know if i can get behind you on that i thought the piranhas looked pretty silly but so and that's and that's completely fair but for me they worked and it it would be interesting as a comparison watching piranha 3d which honestly i'll probably check out because like i said i have this weird if i see one movie in a series if i had fun with it then i'll probably watch more of them you know it doesn't even necessarily have to be a good movie series on the flip side like you know planet of the apes is one of my favorite films of all time but right the sequels to the, the original sequels to the planet of the apes all range from like god awful to like (laughs) pretty okay and really interesting concepts and i can get behind that sometimes you know this is a total like segue neither here nor there but you know there was a trilogy of planet of the apes movies in the last 10 years yeah and apparently they were two of three of them apparently they were all pretty good i distinctly remember the first one the second one i can remember aspects of it and i haven't seen the third one yet but i i really want to i've been trying to like convince jess to have a planet of the apes movie marathon with me and she just won't go for it (laughs) and it upsets me because i really want to have a planet of the apes movie marathon okay well just keep working on her buddy (laughs) she did not love the first movie but i was like you are living under a rock because the first movie is incredible (laughs) you are wrong you are wrong it's kind of like when when my girlfriend didn't like bone tomahawk and i was like that movie was amazing (laughs) (laughs) you'll have to talk to jason about that next time uh you guys see each other because he loved that movie as well 
No, it's so good. I, I really do need to see it. That's that's one of those movies that I have on my list. I'll watch it with you. Sounds good. This is a weird tangent, but right now our movie list for the podcast and or like combined with my just general movie list is like over 500 movies long right now. Fuck off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we could keep doing this realistically for the rest of forever um, because there are a lot of movies out there. And I think there are a lot of movies that range from like, there are 10 people out there that are going to absolutely love this and I can't wait to share it with them <laughs> to like, everybody should watch this movie because they're going to have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay. So other effects and filming stories. I thought this was hilarious. Um, so Joe Dante said that whenever him and his frequent movie producer that he worked with, Roger Corman, would submit like movies like this or any of his other movies to the MPAA, Basically, you know, they would send them the original what they wanted on the film. And then MPAA would say, well, you need to cut this, this, and this to not get like the NC-17 rating or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they would make those cuts. And then afterwards, add all of that stuff back in right before the movie was released. (laughs) Because they basically just assumed that like none of the MPAA people were going to ever watch these movies again. (laughs) So That's awesome. That is so funny. It's pretty bold. (laughs) Just like, eh. But were they wrong? Were they no, wrong? They, I don't think they were. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought that was an amazing little like piece of film history there. Mm-hmm. So the movie itself was filmed in 30 days and cost 660000 which is you know, relatively comparable to the other film that we've talked about recently, Aguare, uh, although you like this film quite a bit more than Aguare. Is my Just a bit. They both <laughs> take place on a river. <laughs> That's very true. We've done a lot of river man versus nature kind of films. This recently. is a river. This is a river movie podcast now. <laughs> true. Oh, I thought this was really interesting. When they released the DVD version of the film, uh, Joe Dante has, has a commentary on it, I guess. So you could listen to that. And one of the really interesting facts that he said is that the noise of the piranhas, the the noises that they use to like make them sound like piranhas, was the noise of dental drills. So basically, oh, like, oh, interesting. Yeah. So basically, he didn't add any more like information about what they did, but like kind of the general consensus is they probably put the drills underwater and then filmed the noise of the drills underwater. Basically, hmm, interesting. I would like to learn more about how they make sound effects for movies because that's got to be a real trip. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's just a lot of probably really creative problem-solving type people, right? Mm-hmm. But in that case, like, it's so funny too because, you know, like I said, this film taps into some primal fears and going to the dentist is definitely one of those primal fears that people have, right? Yeah. So incorporating, like, those kind of noises into this film, I think this is a really good service to it as well. <laughs> It's like, hey, are you afraid of water? Are you afraid of piranhas? Are you afraid of drills? <laughs> Here it is. Yeah, exactly. This is the scariest movie of all time. Yeah, and and so basically, I think that's all of the big effects and filming stuff I was going to talk about. So just a quick note on the score. This was scored by an Italian named Pino Donaggio. Uh, he was actually a frequent collaborator with Brian De Palma. Huh. I would have never guessed that I would have been talking about Brian De Palma while talking about Piranha, but... Who's Brian De Palma again? Very, very famous director of the 70s and 80s. Okay. Scarface, The Untouchables, Carrie, Carlito's okay. Way. Okay, big guy. Uh, I think he did the first Mission Impossible movie. Well, that's isn't that timely. Very well-known director. Hmm, interesting. So there's that connection there. I thought the score was relatively 
good. Like, I don't really have a whole lot to mention about it because it's not, like, the primary focus of the film. It's not, you know, really, like, a stylish film that relies on its score to kind of, you know, pull a lot of emotion from you necessarily. It's just kind of good background score. I did not even notice. Yeah, and that's what I I figured you were going to (laughs) say. So the legacy of this film, we talked about it a little bit in the sequels, prequels, and reboots, but... The other thing I want to mention is because of, you know, the success of this and and because Steven Spielberg was so fond of this film that him and Joe Dante later collaborated together on the Twilight Zone movie. So there's that kind of connection there. I mentioned how Richard Dreyfuss played a character in the Piranha 3D movie and was obviously one of the central characters of Jaws. So I think this movie has a really cool film history and I think it slots very very interestingly into like a movie history watch kind of thing and it, it's surprisingly relevant it's the little movie that could right you yeah. know it's just trucking along doing its best yeah and it, <laughs> doing it's, some things pretty well and other things not as well i i can understand why it has a cult following though yeah i can get behind that too and and this is a film that i would probably recommend to a lot of people in my actual life like you know if they were like oh i want to see like you know kind of a horror movie i'd be like you know are you interested in comedy in your or something like that kind of thing and i i would probably wholeheartedly recommend this movie it'd be on that that quite high on that list i have a i have quite a few friends that enjoy just campy horror movies yeah i'd be surprised if a lot of them haven't already seen it well and if they haven't then you can recommend it to them I'll be like, oh, well, first I'll recommend our podcast so we can learn more. <laughs> what a great place to start. <laughs> okay, so let's wrap this up with our personal reviews and the partner factor. And you and I don't have any partners watching this with us in this case. We both watched it alone. So. Oh, so sad. <laughs> Do you want to start with your review? Like I said, I enjoyed this movie more than I thought I did. Certainly more than Aguirre. So, I don't know. I'd actually maybe be charitable and give this movie like a solid 7 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's completely fair. Like, I think that, again, the IMDb ratings for this movie don't necessarily do it justice. I probably fully agree with you on that rating. Like, you know, it, it this is a movie that's going to be very subjective, right? Like, you know, the, if the comedy doesn't land for you, if the horror elements don't land for you, obviously this isn't. Your if you movie. don't go into this with a sense of humor, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, like, is this movie going to land for every single person no and that those people are going to really hate this movie but for a lot of people this is a really fun one mm-hmm. like i said in Aguirre, you gotta pass the vibe check yeah and and this this kind of vibe i think is more universal than aguare is yeah aguare was a bit more like i mentioned actually i'm gonna quote bone tomahawk and say that aguare has just it's just gonna spit lemon juice in your eye so <laughs> yeah true. this movie is a little more welcoming <laughs> yeah 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 you know what you know what movie has a very is very very similar in tone to this is little shop of horrors actually oh really i've yeah. never seen that movie we so. did that last year jason and i did that last year on the podcast as our musical film and it was probably one of jess's highlights of the podcast that year oh she really really liked it i i had a lot of fun with it but jess was like a massive fan of it but it's funny because it has a very very similar horror comedy element to it and a very 
dark bleak ending to it as well which is really interesting well i do love dark bleak endings you would probably honestly love it it's like i said it's probably up there for uh musicals for me it's it's really good it's got rick moranis as the lead in it like I'm a big fan of Rick Moranis and actually also musicals, so I'm surprised I haven't seen it. Yeah, you should check it out for sure. Mm-hmm. And and go back and listen to that episode too while you're at it. I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not really a fan of the pre-Michael era, but. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So so in terms of my review of this film, like this is a low budget campy horror comedy like i really enjoyed all of those aspects i really enjoy when those aspects kind of come together another kind of modern comparison that i'll put to this is tucker and dale versus evil which was like a really big horror comedy is kind of like a cult classic on netflix at one point in time you know early days of netflix when there was good stuff on there (laughs) and so you know i had a lot of fun with it i thought that there was some really great horror sequences it does a really good job of balancing the horror and the, the comedy elements of it. You know, you tip one way or the other kind of thing, and you might lose sight of what the movie is trying to be. But for the most part, I think I think it balanced both of those aspects relatively well. Mm. So yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. It's, it's a good movie. That's It's not a great movie, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the perfect encapsulation of this movie. Not great, but it's fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's this movie has heart. It's trying. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Perfect popcorn flick, like you know, Friday night kind of thing, like we talked about. And have fun. Have a good time. Enjoy it. Yeah. And then subscribe to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's gonna wrap us up for this week. I think next week we have a break, and then we will be doing the draft episode, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, me too. Like I said, I kind of have an idea of what you're doing. I I haven't. I haven't spoiled what I'm doing quite yet. I'm trying to keep it relatively tight-lipped. Um, you might have a few guesses, but... What's your category again? Mine is... Series, movie right? Movie franchise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit more limited, I would say, because franchises, I think, are bigger post-2000s era. But mm-hmm. there is some interesting stuff in the, the backlog uh, that I checked out. There certainly is. And then Jason's got actor-actress. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming right. up. Hope you enjoyed the pod. You know, give us a like or a follow. Hey, you, you know, we don't say that very often on this podcast, but... Uh, yeah, this is a deliberate call to action. Get yeah, off your butt. <laughs> you know, like, really appreciate that. You know, get, get us out in the world a little bit more. You know, tell your mom about us. Tell your dad about us. You, you go <laughs> Especially and... your dad. <laughs> dad, I have the podcast for you. Yeah. All right. Anyway, have a good one. Bye.